kind to yourself. Remember that you get Sundays off. Uh, somebody, somebody emailed me a, just an amen to that last week. Uh, just one word, amen uh, to that. And remember you get Sundays off as a reminder uh, of the resurrection that we, are, that we are celebrating in Easter that is to come. Uh, but also be kind to yourself. If you have failed at your fast, know that God is not mad at you for one second. And just pick right back up where you let off. Uh, and remember that we're in this together. Amen. Amen. Okay, we've got a passage up here. Uh, will pop up on the screen. Um, and Genesis 15, it's actually not going to pop up on the screen. We had a couple of kind of uh, slide issues this morning. Whenever you see Drew frantically leave my seat, uh, it usually means that either I've done something wrong or hopefully I can figure out how to fix it. Um, but you're just going to have to listen well. Uh, so visual learners, I'm sorry. You can get out your phones. This is one excuse to get on your phone during the church service if you need to look at it and read. Um, but we will have this uh, verbally given to you this morning, but not visually. So Genesis 15, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Um, when you, If you get married, and I officiate your wedding, we give you uh, kind of an opportunity to, to choose what passages you would like preached from uh, or what, would you, what passage you like read during your wedding. You get to pick an Old Testament one and a New Testament one, then I get to pick whichever one I want to give the sermon from. And somebody a few years ago picked this passage. And so after I read it, you'll understand why I kind of pause a little bit when uh, they, they picked it. Um, but after kind of preaching through or preparing for that sermon years ago, I thought to myself, what a beautiful picture of covenant. What a beautiful picture of, 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 of what a wedding is all about. Um, so just know this is an incredibly beautiful passage, but also incredibly important. Uh, so as I'm reading it, uh, just soak it up and then we'll dive into this text in the sermon. Genesis 15 verses Uh, We're going to go 1 through 13. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir? Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years... Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, 
and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pit with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants, I give this land. From the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful. I just want to say first and foremost, God, we're so grateful to your Bible. To the fact that we can come before you. Open up the word of God and receive teaching time after time, that we can trust that it is good for us, that it is authoritative over our lives, that it is food for our soul. And Father, may you use the word to nourish us, nourish us today, convict us of sin through the work of the Holy Spirit. May you use this story in Genesis 15 to grow our picture of who you are, and your love for us. Father, I pray that you would be with the people at Redeemer. May you bring your kingdom to come in their lives. Those that are hurting, may you bring comfort and peace. Those who are confused, may you bring clarity. Those who feel far from you, may you bring them close. We pray for the vulnerable and the needy, We pray for the vulnerable and the needy in Ukraine, like on the other side of the world, that are trying to figure out what life looks like in the midst of a war that they did not ask for. May you be with the children. May you be with the vulnerable. Be with the women who are are, are carrying or with child. May you be with those that have been separated from their families, those that are confused, those that are fighting. Father, may you bring peace in Ukraine. And Father, we pray for our own city. We recognize that this is we're, we're a, a, a far, we're very far from what it looks like to be a city full of peace and equity and love and justice. And we pray that you would give us opportunities as individuals, as families, as households, and as a church to be the hands and feet of God. Give us both clarity and courage. And God, I thank you for the ways that you are at work in our lives, and I pray that you would continue that good work to completion. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so when we preach from the Old Testament, uh, we oftentimes will take a few moments just to give a little bit of a backstory because we're kind of jumping into the middle of a a, a big old book of the Bible in Genesis, and so we're going to give a little bit of kind of catch up if this is unfamiliar to you. Leading up to this chapter in chapter 15, and leading up to this kind of monumental interaction between God and Abram, Abram has had some pretty intense moments already. Abram's been, Abram's been called by God in Genesis 12. God comes to Abram and tells him, I want you to get out of your country, get out of your people, get out of your father's house. I want you to leave everything that's familiar to you, 
everything you know, and in essence, what he's done at that point, it may kind of ring a bell to you, even with Jesus and the disciples. He's calling Abram to a life of discipleship, a life of following God, a life of trusting God. He's had some issues after that. He has some issues with this guy Lot, but then when Lot fell to the enemy army, Abram led an army of men, defeated the bad guys, and the Bible tells us in the previous chapter in Genesis 14 that Abram recovered all the goods, brought back his relative Lot, his possessions, and together with all the women and other people. My guy Abram is riding high. Dude is having, he's on a heater, he is, he is killing it, he is walking through God's, providing for him, he's trusting God. And then we enter into chapter 15, and God, who knows Abram and everything else that's going on, understands exactly what Abram is thinking, what's the, and what's the first thing he tells to him? Those four familiar words we see throughout the Bible, do not be afraid. Do not fear. And it's fascinating to me when I read this and kind of read it in context of the last three chapters, I looked at it and I'm like, why is God telling him that? My guy just won a battle. God is clearly walking with him. He's providing for him along the way. He's brought Lot back. And I did some research and kind of the, the, the common thought in a guy named John Calvin, old dead guy from years ago, he wrote about this conundrum and his guess, his theory was that Abram's military feats, though impressive, would have engendered an unfavorable suspicion among his nearest neighbors, that he would turn the strength which he had tried against foreign kings against them. In essence, what Calvin's saying, and what I think is probably right, is that Abram is scared that he's made the people around him suspicious of him. He's scared that what's going to happen next is the people around him are going to come after him and that God's not going to take care of him. It's no surprise then that Genesis 15, Abram probably was troubled, probably was anxious, and probably lacked the confidence that his future was going to be okay. God spoke to Abram in Genesis 15 and 1, 15 1, the first, first verse of chapter 15, do not be afraid. He did it out of a deep compassion and care for this man. He saw his hurt, he saw his fear, and he says, I'm going to speak to you, not just tell you things that are true, and you have to go track them down. I'm going to come in your greatest need right in this moment and soothe your sorrow and anxious thoughts. And that's when it hit me that Abram's just like us. I mean, no, we've never had an experience quite like this with God. Maybe you have or have not kind of conquered other armies on your resume. But when we think about it, Abram's just like us. He defeats an army with God's help, with God's help recovered his guy Lot. Even in chapter 14, the, the high priest Melchizedek looks at him and, kind of, and gives him great blessings. And then God comes in a vision and says, do not be afraid because even in his best moments, Abram is still scared. Though he's been called by God, though he's been given these victories in the past, he's still scared about what the future holds and that God's not going to provide. Does that resonate with any of us? 
Sure, God, I put my faith in you years ago. Sure, I got baptized. I was washed clean of my sins through faith in Christ. But so many of us in this moment right now, if we're honest, are hurting. If we're honest, are struggling to believe. God, I know you say that you will never leave me or forsake me, but can I really believe that? Because it feels like you're a long, stinking way off. I know you say that you work all things for my good, even the things that seem really bad right now. And I used to believe that 100%. But if I'm real, I'm looking at these promises and saying, but for real, for real, how do I know this is true? And we think about the promises of God. He promises to give us wisdom when, he asks, when we ask. He promises to provide a way out of temptation. He promises that our salvation is secure no matter what. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. He promises to finish the good work that he started in us to completion. He promises that he is kind and compassionate. He promises that he has a plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you for good, not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. We know these things are true, but gosh, it's so hard to believe. And so I get it. I understand when Abram, as annoyed as I was, I'm like, why do you need this? When I look in the mirror, I say the same thing. God, I know you made this promise, but how do I today know that you're really going to follow through? In this, we should understand that we're not the only ones that experience fear. So many of you, so many of you, including myself, so many of us, if we ask the question, what are you scared, what are you fearful of in this moment? Some of us are debilitated by the amount of fear in our lives. And I want you to hear from me today. I do not want you to be in that place, but I also want you to hear that you're not alone. Some of you have gotten a, a, a report from the doctor with a health issue that, you, that get, renders your future kind of up in the air of like, oh, will I recover from this? How will this affect you know, my quality of life going forward? Or maybe it's not you, but it's a loved one that got that diagnosis, and you're sitting there going, well, what do I do with my life now? Some of you are watching gas prices go up. We let our van get all the way to empty uh, this past week, and I just sat there and just watched that number and go and go and go. I was like, there's no way. There's no way we're going to get to 60, not to 70. We're at $84 to fill up our van. Like, that is, you know, maybe for some of you, that's like, oh, no big deal at all. For a lot of us, it's like, that's a lot of cash. This is scary. Like, we don't know. Inflation, the rates are going up. Is it going up at the same rate as our income? How does that impact our now, our tomorrow, and our future? There's a fear that we have of God. Do you really have a plan for my life? Maybe there's been conflict in relationship. Maybe a relationship that you had, as this is a companion of mine for the next 10, 15 years, that has dissolved in the past six months. And now you're left kind of picking up the pieces, looking at God going, you say you're for my good, but do I really believe that? Maybe there's a child going through an especially difficult time or a nephew. Maybe you just feel super lonely. You're here today surrounded by 80, 100 people, but on the inside you feel desperately lonely and you can't figure out why. 
Maybe there's a financial struggle. Your lease is running out in two or three months. You've been there three or four years, and now you look around, and the price of housing is not what it was in 2019. You're sitting there going, what do I do next? God, you promised that you would never leave me nor forsake me, but I don't feel that today. And Abram felt that same way. So God gives him this vision. Literally, God is talking to him. God reminds him of his promise in, to Abram in verse, verses 5 and 6. He says, I'll give you an heir. He's like, remember, we've already talked about this. I'll give you an heir. Look at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can even count. What a flex right there. If indeed you can even count them, look at the stars in the sky. So shall your offspring be. So Abram heard that, just like we hear the reminders of promises. We read them again in the New Testament and the Old. But Abram's still not satisfied. He's still not able to rest in those words. He looks up at God and says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of that land? How can I know that you will, you will hold true to your promises? What he's saying here is the same thing we say to God. How can I really believe you. And if we're honest, there's a lot of us in this room who have experienced in our earthly relationships what it feels like to be let down. We look back at our lives, whether that's 25 years or 75 years, and we can think back to times where people have made a promise to us and then abandoned it six months, six years, or 30 years later. We have wounds from those earthly relationships that have not followed through with their promises, and then we are left hanging, feeling like an idiot, full of shame, full of regret that why did we ever trust this person in the first place? And I'll be honest, those wounds, they jack you up a little bit, and you're less likely to trust the next time because you become more guarded, you become more safe. See, I don't think Abram's a fool for asking God this. In essence, he's saying what, what, in, what is said in the New Testament, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. We're seeing Abram's humanity, and we should see ourselves in him as well. But then God does the most incredible thing. God sees that he needs reassurance and, God, and puts Abram to sleep and makes this contract with him. So when we think about a contract, we think about kind of buying a car or something. So we go to the lot, uh, pick out a car, and then we say, you guys drafted the contract here at the dealership. I'll come back. I'm going to get my finances squared away with my bank, and I'll come back tomorrow, and we'll figure out, you know, the formal agreement. And part of that agreement says that you all, whoever it is, you agree to do a part, and the other part of the contract is what happens if you don't follow through with your agreement. So in essence, you're going to pay this much a month. If you're buying it, you know, on a, a monthly payment, they're going to give you this car. But then if you don't, you know, pay that monthly, uh, the, the payment, then they're going to come get the car. Like not super complicated, but a little bit intimidating, but that's how it works. So that's how a contract works in, you know, 2022, a little different back then. So, I mean, what happened is that they did, the two parties back in that day in the ancient Near East would negotiate, then they'd agree to terms on something, but the agreement was a little bit more intense than just kind of, you know, kind of signing on the dotted line. If the Bible is anything, the Bible is intense at times, and we're about to see some of that intensity here today. 
We have to understand that life in the context of that culture in the day, when covenants, when promises, when contracts were made in this region, the two parties of the covenant routinely did exactly what was described here in Genesis 15. The lesser person, uh, and you'll see a picture of it, uh, the lesser person, uh, and I'll explain this in a second, the lesser person by economic or social standards would be in charge of gathering a crew of animals. And so they ask you to do this at the dealership, like go to another dealership. Not cool in 2022, this is cool back in the day. So they'd say go get some animals, and they'd sever those animals in half and kind of prepare for the contract to be made. And so you'll see in the picture up here, and there's not, if you Google animals severed in half, there's not a whole lot you got to work with, so just work with me here. You see the passing between, they would sever the animals and kind of split them up, and then they'd ask each party to pass between the animals, and the passing between the dead animals signified very frankly, very honestly, you would feel it in your bones, that death would come to the person who did not fulfill their covenant contractual obligations. What it's literally saying is if you don't fulfill your end of the bargain, you will experience the same thing that these animals did. Like I said, if the Bible is anything, it's intense at times. Normally, what would happen in these negotiations is that you have two parties that have different social standards or like power standards or um, socioeconomic standards. The lesser person, the one who got the animals, who gathered the animals, he, would be, he or she would be the only one to walk through the animals. You see, if this was, uh, if we understood this back in the day, we would have instantly understood that the more powerful person wouldn't have the same punishment because they recognize that the lesser party, the lesser person, has a lot more to gain in the contract and therefore should be more at risk. And in some instances, both parties of the covenant would walk through showing that they had, both had responsibilities, but that's what's bananas about what happens here in Genesis 15 is that neither one of these things happen. What would have been normal back in the day is that Abram would have walked through these, through, through the middle of this. God, the, the more powerful party, would have just watched it happen. Or, in some instances, they both would have walked through, but neither of those things happened. No, while Abram is asleep, the Bible tells us that when the sun had set in 17 and 18, darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared. So these two things, fire pot, blazing torch appear and pass between the animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So that fire pot, the blazing torch, those are the same words used in Mount Sinai to describe God. Same words to describe the pillar of God's presence. So in essence, what is happening here is Abram is sitting this one out and God is saying, I'm going through once and then I'm going through again. Clearly, the greater being between God and Abram passed through the animals and he didn't just do it once, he did it twice and Abraham didn't do anything at all. So first of all, God is saying that if he, if he himself doesn't fall through this commitment, what happened to these animals, I'm willing to have it happen to me. This alone would have been earth-shattering. But it gets even better than that. When God walks through it alone and does it twice, what he's saying to Abraham, or Abram is that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, Abram or any of his descendants have to do 
in order for God to keep his side of the covenant. It is a one-sided deal. God takes all the responsibility for fulfilling it upon himself. No matter what Abram does or doesn't do, God will keep his promise. And if he doesn't, he gets the consequences. Abram was looking for proof in this moment that God would be faithful to him. And what he probably expected God to do was to ask Abram to seal the covenant himself. And I cannot emphasize the importance of this enough, but Abram, he didn't even wake up for the deal. God is looking at him and saying, if I don't fulfill the promises I made to you, if I don't, these promises that you're struggling to believe, I'm giving you the reassurance that if I don't do this, what happens to these animals happens to me. And we have to look at that and just say, hold on a minute. God is saying, if you, Abram, the one who is doubting, you, Abram, the one who's scared, the one who's fearful, the one who we know is going to mess up, if you do, you don't pay, but I will. So what does this practically mean? It means that God has promised to bless Abram, to bring salvation to the world. If not, may his immortality suffer mortality. What God is saying in this moment, may my infinity become finite. May my body be ripped to pieces like these animals. May I be cut up if I don't hold up the end of my bargain. But also, may I be cut up even if you fail. I will bless you even if I have to die to do so. And brothers and sisters, Abram wakes up from this, you know, Kevin Hart voice, just hold on a minute, what happened here? And God's sitting there and understand the incredible nature of what he has promised to him. But what we have, you know, thousands and thousands of years later, we understand that God didn't just promise this, this is exactly what happened. Man failed repeatedly over and over again. So what did God do? God said, I'm willing to go through the animals because I'm willing to one day send my own son to die like they did. Isaiah 9, surely, speaking of Jesus, surely he took up our pain. Surely Jesus bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. What happened to Abram in Genesis 15, what God is communicating to him and to us is that God, our God, does not break promises. And he's willing to go to the ends of the earth to ensure he doesn't. God made a covenant with Abram that was ratified when God went through those dead animals. And God said, I promise to bless you. I promise I'll take care of you. I, to walk with you. I promise that you can trust my promises. And brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. This is the gospel understanding that God would not only hold up his end of the bargain, but he would pay our end as well. And when we let that sink in, it changes us 180 degrees. 
when you understand that Jesus Christ fulfilled the conditions of this covenant at radical, infinite cost to himself so that we could be loved unconditionally, we look at life differently. We look at the law, the commandments of God, and we don't say, I've got to do these in order to earn something from God. We look at these and say, I've got to take these seriously because I know Jesus died to fulfill this law. This is important, so with all my might, I try to obey, but when I do fail, if I do fail, when I fail, I know that there is no condemnation, Romans 8.1, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our obedience is a way of saying thank you to God, not to earn anything from him. It's becoming more like Jesus, but not in a way that we're looking at, we're, we're coming out of shame or guilt. We know he's gone through the dead animals twice. So you want to resist sin like crazy, but never out of a sense of condemnation or despair. But more than anything else, as we journey through Lent together, I want you to realize that you can trust these promises of God. And he's earned that trust. You can trust Romans 8, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. You can trust it even when the rest of the, of the world or your world comes crashing in on you, trying to convince you that God doesn't care about you, that God's forgotten about you, that surely this plan is not for my best. You cling on to that promise because he's earned that trust through the cross. You look at Jeremiah 29, 11, a verse that so many people have kind of hanging in their, uh, even in, in their kitchens or their living rooms, but we struggle to believe it. For I know the plans I have for you, plans for good, not for disaster. I give you a future of hope. How many of us can raise our hands saying, yes, 100%, I believe that in my bones. We struggle to, but I promise you can. These promises are sure and steadfast, but do you notice that they have so much more to say about who God is or how he is sanctifying us than about a certain circumstance or outcome? Think about what God told Abram. He tells him right before he goes through the animals twice, know for certain that for 400 years, you think your next six months stink, but think about this. Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated there. Sweet, let me sign up for that. In essence, Abram lived in this time in between the promise and the fulfillment. God has made these promises, but Abram's about to enter into an even more difficult time. He doesn't get to see them to fruition. And brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that this is our reality as well. Jesus has come, he's brought the new kingdom in, he has already initiated, but is not yet come in its completion, not yet come in its in entirety. And in this last Wednesday night dinner, uh, Jesse Phillips blew my socks off with the devotional talk that he gave, talking about this already, not yet, but we have to look forward to when Christ comes back. We've tasted the goodness of these promises that were up on the screen, but brothers and sisters, I also want you to know we have so much more to look forward to. Amen? And when we doubt that he will fulfill these promises, we don't just have a story of God walking through dead animals twice. We have the truth that God held true to his word and in Jesus paid the ultimate price, wounded for our transgressions because we didn't hold up our end. He covered us completely. 
So as you journey through Lent, as we journey through it, remember that we, are not, we may not be promised certainty in our circumstances, but we are promised certainty in the God of those circumstances. And this is the anchor for our soul. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the truth 